Today's guest is Marissa Quick, who has spent the last five years playing basketball overseas professionally. She's played on teams in English-speaking countries like Australia and the UK, but her journey has also taken her to teams in Portugal and Turkey. So she definitely has some interesting things to say about living in other cultures. We do have a few sound issues, but nothing too bad. And the British show that I can't think of the name of is Coupling, that is available on several platforms online. Enjoy. So what I wanted to talk to you about is first how after a successful career at Emporia State, how you then transition that into the idea that you might be able to continue your career by playing abroad and how that even idea first came to your attention. Okay, yeah. So it's got a little bit of complicatedness. Like we got time for that. We got time for that. Has. <laughs> okay. So there was a player that my head coach at Emporia had recruited earlier in his career that ended up going to another school. And she graduated from there and then went and played overseas for two years, I believe. And then she came back and coached at the other school, which was Missouri Western. And the agent that she had was looking for post players at the time. And so after we played them in in a conference game my senior year, she approached my coach, uh, Jory Collins, and said, hey, would your post player potentially be interested in going overseas? Um, my old agent is looking for post players to sign, and I think that she would have the possibility of doing it. So that was the first time that thought was ever even introduced to me, because before that, I didn't even really know what European basketball right. was. I thought, if you play professionally, you play in the WNBA and that's it. Honestly, that's the only thing I'd ever heard of. So I had never even thought I'd have a chance to continue to play after. Oh, huh. So she put me into contact with him, but I obviously couldn't really talk to him until after my senior year of playing was up. So I got in contact with him right after we finished at the Elite Eight. I think it was the week after, actually, because I was like trying to get the (laughs) loss out of my mind and just move on to something (laughs) else. And so I got into contact with him and he's like, yeah, uh, I can't promise you anything. But with European basketball, you don't pay any agent fees. Um, The teams pay for those. So it, it really doesn't cost you anything to try and sign with an agent and try and get over there. So I was like, well, I mean, why not at that point? If I if something comes, if I get an offer, we'll try it. If nothing comes of it, it's nothing lost. So that's really how it got started. Were, what were you thinking the odds were at that point? Were you thinking like, ah, maybe a 10% chance? Or did they make it seem it was likely? Or Yeah, so I talked to him and he's like, you had good college stats. Um, you have a lot of game film, you're tall, and if you're willing to go just about anywhere, then it really opens up the possibilities. So he said that he thought that he could for sure get me a contract, not sure like how much money I'd make or where it would be or like any of those things, but he was pretty confident that he would find me something to try. Um, okay. And so I was like, all right, well, that sounds like this is actually going to happen. So I was still so skeptic up until like that point. But then talking to him and hearing all these other players that he had successfully found contracts for and realizing he did know what he was doing and it wasn't some sort of scam. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) it was like a a bench player in Turkmenistan or something. Yeah. (laughs) And he explained to me how every team like they're only allowed a certain amount of import players and usually Americans are even like super limited so teams bring Americans over to elevate their teams like you're not going to go 
to a team over in Europe and play on the bench. Like that's not oh, okay. They, they, if you're if you're going to be a bench player, they don't want you in the first place. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> kind of exactly. So you're you're going over there to score and to play a lot of minutes and um, make a make a big impact on the team. Um, so what was your plan if basketball hadn't come knocking? Because if it was senior year, you must have already had kind of a, another plan at least uh, thought about before that came, that came along. That's nice of you to think that. <laughs> <laughs> I should know better. I should know better. Fair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You've known me long enough to know that I did not, in fact, have another plan. Um, but <laughs> so this was in March when I was talking to him. And so he was pretty confident that he would find something. So I was thinking about looking for other stuff. And then at that point, he was pretty reassuring that he would find something for me. So I kind of just went ahead and put all my eggs in that basket and said, let's try it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So how how do all the different, now I'm confused on this too. So obviously everyone kind of understands, you know, the WNBA here, it's kind of a league just kind of parallel to the NBA. But when you get to overseas, it's not like it's one big league for the rest of the world, I would imagine, right? So how, how do different countries and different continents and how, how does it work with, because you've kind of been in different parts of the world. So are these different leagues you've been in? Yeah. So what I like to try and explain is like every country has their own WNBA kind of. So that's like the easiest way of explaining okay. it. But in reality, it's more like the like baseball system, how there's like different divisions in every country. Okay. So like when I went to Turkey, I played in the second division there. I wasn't in the like WNBA of Turkey. I played in the second division, which is like the minor league okay. of their country, if that makes sense. So then you have like Euro League and Euro Cup, which make it even more complicated because <laughs> then you take like one team that wins the country's league and then they all play in a league themselves. Like almost as a whole separate season or it's like a playoff? Yeah. Or, or it's a, a whole separate season. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. a whole other season. So that's why like when you hear about like Euro League and Euro Cup, those are the best of the best from Europe. So it's okay. every single country's like best team goes and plays each other in a whole other season that's separate from their country season. So if you're playing in those, that's a lot of playing. Oh, for sure. And it's, so it's almost this is kind of a hybrid thing. It'd be like when we won state basketball your junior year, if we had then gone from that to now we get to play the other state champions from schools our size for a whole new season and like it's 50 schools that don't have that season yeah yeah but it goes on the next year at the same time that you're playing oh, your regular season schedule okay yeah so it's like you're a pro you you get promoted into the next league basically okay yeah interesting yeah okay that's that's i think they do soccer things similar to that. i've had friends who are into soccer do kind of explain similar things with yeah. that and it, it's 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 uh yeah, just that we don't grow up with grow up with it. It's so confusing to even get your head around, huh? Yeah, and then like even trying to explain it doesn't quite make as much sense <laughs> as like actually seeing how it's broken down. At least for me, that's how my brain works. Um, but then even like Australia, then is even tied into the European system, or is it completely completely its own separate thing? It's completely separate, and then they actually run two different seasons. So I went there in our summer, and so they have states. In Australia, so there's five or six states now. I might be messing up. And so they have their own leagues in those states. And since it's a smaller region, it's a shorter season. Okay. So I was there for four months, and we played the whole season in those four months. And I, yeah, I remember thinking, Corey did tell me like that was kind of like, the reason you went down there was it was the off season from the other leagues. You can kind of bounce back and forth or however that needed to work and to keep playing. Yeah. So, so where I'm trying to think, so, so again, this kind of ties into the travel thing I like to talk about on here with, <laughs> so you, you've been all over and so kind of give me a rundown, I guess, of what countries you have played games in, whether you had a team there or not, like any game, any country you played a game in, or is that even a two list that's probably 20, 30 long at this point, you couldn't even list it off? Um, no, it's actually not as long as you'd think, because when I'm over there, for the most part, I'm staying and playing those games oh, in right, the one country. Right. Oh, right. Okay. So I started in Portugal. 
And then from there, that was when I went to Australia. And that was the worst trip of my entire life. The flight um, I itself? went straight from Portugal. Well, I went straight from Portugal to Australia, but I went through the United States. So because my season got pushed back because I was on an island, we were there a week later. So I was supposed to have a week home, but my flight got pushed back a week because of just extenuating circumstances. Right, right. And so I literally like came back. I got to the Dallas airport and then that was like the part of my Portuguese flight home. And then I connected there and started the trip to Australia. So <sighs> I, yeah. Did your mom try to come down to the Dallas airport to say hello or something? It's no, kind of I, impossible, yeah. Yeah, I had like four hours Ugh. there. And then I had like two hours in, I think, San Francisco. And that was all I had <laughs> in the U.S. that whole entire year. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I went straight there. And then from there, I got to come home for eight days. And then I went to Turkey and then played the whole season there. So, yeah, that whole first two years, basically, I was not in the U.S. I was not home ever. <laughs> and I just played basketball and was like, I don't know how long this is going to last. I'm going to try and take advantage of every contract I get right now. Right. Kind of thing. You're basically getting paid to travel the world. And so even if you're breaking even, I mean, that's still well worth the life yeah. experience and all that. And yeah. Had had you been a big traveler before? I mean, probably not a lot overseas, but like even like driving around the U.S. growing up or anything like that. Did you guys travel much growing up? No. I mean, our family vacation was like Nebraska, maybe, <laughs> Oklahoma City. Um, that was basically like I went to the ocean one time in my life before that, and it was for a college visit. And I didn't get my passport until I went to uh, Portugal. That was my first time out of the country, and okay, I decided wow, to yeah. move there for eight months. So, wow, yeah, that's a that's a gutsy commitment <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it went well. I mean, you you did you didn't bail out, so you're you're, you're still kind of rolling with it. So so how how has it been just experiencing the different cultures then, and the, the language barrier with working with the coaches who may not have English as their primary language, or actually most likely don't, and all that. Yeah, um, you start to pick up whatever language you're exposed to fairly quickly. I've now done three years in Portugal, so I can understand a lot of Portuguese. Speaking it is really hard for me, but I got to the point this last year where I would ask my coach to just tell me the instructions in Portuguese because I would understand him better than when he spoke English. Oh, because of his accent probably, right? Yeah, or like just uh, the different verbs or just the translation wasn't exactly what he meant to say sometimes and so i would just be like you say it so you understand and i'll have a better chance of understanding it (laughs) okay let me interpret what the portuguese based on my experience here yeah okay that's interesting that's uh especially in the context of basketball so i I mean it might be different if you're trying to go to a restaurant or even then like you said though they always talk about instant immersion being by far the best way to learn a language. So just moving oh, to Portugal yeah. is the best way to learn Portuguese better than five years yeah. of taking classes probably. So Oh that is, yeah. Yeah. That was always fascinating. So like are you in Lisbon or where where in Portugal were you? The or? first two years I was or the first year that I was there, I was on um one of the islands in the Azores. Oh that's right, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it was way smaller than I ever could have imagined. There was nothing on that island. Like, you think, oh, I'm moving to this tropical island. Like, that's going to be amazing. It's great for, like, tourism and stuff. And then you realize you're there for the eight months, not in tourism season, and you are stuck on this tiny island, and that you can't go anywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, yeah, like, you have practice every day, so you can't, like, go do something during the day because there's not a ton on this island. You can't go further away than that. So that was the biggest challenge, I'd say, that first year was just, I mean, I grew up in Cheney, Kansas, so you'd think I was used to these tiny towns. (laughs) But then I was able to still go to, like, Wichita if we wanted to do something. Or you can drive to Kansas City, but it it would take you 30 minutes to drive from one side of this island to the other. Like, that was the whole island. And so that was challenging because you couldn't go anywhere. 
Oh, right. So it's like it's this beautiful claustrophobia in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you know much about the Azores, but they have rain for <laughs> three months. <laughs> Solid three months. It did not stop raining. <laughs> wow. So that, w- I mean, that was the winter. So I guess it could always be snow. And I'm thankful it wasn't that. <laughs> but it was just culture shock after culture shock. It's just not ready for what moving out of the U.S. or moving anywhere at that point. I mean, I lived in Kansas my whole life up until I decided to move to a tiny (laughs) island in the middle of the ocean. So (laughs) was just not probably as prepared as I should have been. But, you know. You just got to rip the Band-Aid off sometimes, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And then the the second and third year I was in Portugal, I did live in Lisbon or well like suburbs of Lisbon and okay. I enjoyed those a lot. Um, okay, a little more culture, a little more stuff to do, a little less trapped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a great city. I absolutely love loved living there. They have amazing public transportation. Um it's so easy to get around. Everyone there speaks English or works with you. The people are just Okay. so unbelievably nice. I tell people like if you're trying to go on a European vacation at all, that needs to be one of the places you stop. There's so much culture in a small area and it's so easily accessible because just at how it's set up. And something I've noticed, and you could probably back me up on this, I feel like that the, oh, quote unquote, second tier of tourist destinations are basically better. So everyone knows London and Rome and and all that kind of stuff and Paris and those are great and those and there's definitely worth visiting, but I feel like the hidden gems are all the major cities that you've heard of that you don't think of as a tourist destination and those end up being like almost better, like a Lisbon or a Florence or a Vienna or something like that. Absolutely. Like I would definitely agree with that. Um like Lisbon and then living in Cardiff which was the capital city of Wales. Um, right. You you don't think of Cardiff to go to when you're thinking of going to visit the UK, but absolutely recommend it. It was just, I enjoyed going around Cardiff way more than I did in London. I mean, obviously it was cool to be in London and have those experiences because those are things like you grow up seeing, but not ever really thinking you could see them in person. But you just have such a better time in those smaller, well, I say smaller, but they're still huge, like capital cities. No, right, right. Um, <laughs> Probably like how over here, I, I would say, you know, Boston, I thought was a much nicer visit than New York City. Yeah, the same concept, exactly. Yeah. And so how long were you in Australia then? Just basically that one season? Yeah, so that was just the four months that I was there. And like you mentioned, um, Corey did get to come visit. Yeah. She went on like a... What she was like driving and staying in a van and camping and <laughs> just all out exploring. But we actually got to go snorkeling on the southern most part of the Great Barrier Reef together. And that was just it's probably one of my favorite moments of my entire life. Oh, that's awesome. Snorkeling the Great Barrier Reef with one of my oldest friends from Kansas in Australia. Right. Like just everything coming together in that moment kind of just crazy amazing experience (laughs) yeah getting to share just these you know places on earth with people from your own little corner of earth and uh yeah and uh turkey is actually always fascinated me i've always been a little nervous as a westerner maybe about traveling to turkey but (laughs) but but is that probably appropriate but uh but istanbul especially it just seems fascinating a city i'd like to visit but uh kind of talk about uh, Turkey or where you were at there or did you get a visit in Istanbul and all that? Yeah, so um, I was right, I was up in the mountains near the Black Sea. So you hear Turkey and you think of this like warm, like destination and that is not where I went (laughs) at all. Um, I was like up in the mountains, mountains. It was snowing Uh... a, a lot of the time I was there. But I mean, that ended up, I think, working for my advantage because all my teammates would kind of talk about making sure like I didn't wear shorts out in public and things like that and trying to tell me not to draw attention to myself from day one and I like looked at them like I am a six foot three tall girl (laughs) I only speak English like what what 
I'm not supposed to draw attention to myself. How? Like, right. Put me in a wheelchair, never, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not going to be something that I, I succeed at. So, um, <laughs> they, yeah, they, I was really lucky. I had great teammates that would help me around, but yeah, I was kind of always on edge when I was there. Okay. Like you said, just being a Westerner, like going there probably had that in my mind to start but then I had people always kind of telling me like be cautious of this be cautious of this and so then you kind of repeat those things in your head and you're like okay all right so you start to get a little more paranoid about them and then you have situations where like we were just in our apartment and I like couldn't get the wi-fi to work and I like kept resetting it and kept resetting it and I like finally went and asked one of my roommates because they were in their room I was like can you help me I can't get it to work they're like oh no the government blocked the internet today you have to download a VPN (laughs) and I was like like, just shocked on my face and she said it so casual and didn't think anything strange about it it was not an like it was normal. It was something that happened and you just had to find a way around it and it was okay. So you were like, okay. And that, I mean, that happened probably two months after I got there. So I was like, okay, all right, well, (laughs) that's how this is going to be. Let's, uh, (laughs) let's get things together and just be prepared. Wow. And like those things you just kind of take for granted, I guess if that's even the right way to phrase it. No, I think so. The, the the freedom that you can essentially do what you want as long as you don't break the law, but in places like that where it's just so much more restrictive yeah. on those kinds of things, you know, like if you, yeah, even just like I said, how, how you dress, I'm guessing the shorts thing wasn't just for cold, it was for women don't wear shorts in public kind of thing, right? Or probably the mid note yeah, either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so like it, when I got there, it was freezing. So I was like, I'm not going to wear shorts. Like I didn't <laughs> understand what they were telling me at first. Mm. And then, like, I would be walking to practice and, like, I would only see women, like, completely covered head to toe. And I realized, oh, that's what you were saying. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, just a lot of layers to realizing exactly where I was and that I needed to be, like, more self-aware of how I was presenting myself and carrying myself in public and just yeah trying to be a little more cautious huh uh, but did but did you get to go to istanbul or see anything cool or were you kind of just stuck in your town in the by the black sea there in the mountains we played there a few times oh, okay. so i did okay. have teammates that would kind of walk around with me but i was there the year right after that coup that they had over oh, there wow. okay. um and so like when we'd go to the capital city like there was still like Ankara, there was very clearly areas that had just been blown up that had not even been tried to be rebuilt or cleaned up at all. And so I was like, yes, I'd love to go see things, but maybe right now with the state of how (laughs) things are going, I will go where my teammates go and not try and push anything kind of mindset. That's probably smart. Yeah. And they also had the vote going on there, which was a whole nother level of taking our voting for granted. And because every single gym that we played in had these big posters and in Turkish, it was like, it basically translated to in the upcoming vote, vote yes. And every single gym had them. And so we went and watched a EuroLeague game with my teammates, actually. And so I was like, okay, I don't understand what all these posters are. Can someone please explain it to me? And like, they kind of said, we're voting for our president to be president for his life. And I was so confused by like the concept of that. I was like, why would anyone want that? Doesn't that defeat the whole point? Like, (laughs) I was just so taken aback by what that meant. And they were like, I was like, what, what, what do you mean? What? I don't, I don't understand. Like I thought I was missing something in translation uh-huh. and they were trying to tell me, no, we don't talk about this in public. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> and so <laughs> eventually we got back to 
the hotel and they kind of explained to me that their president wanted to be president for his life and didn't want to have to go through another election and how all the journalists that have been speaking out about this have gone missing, essentially, and or are put in jail. So you don't speak out about this in public kind of concept. And I was like, well, are you guys going to vote? And they were like, um, we don't want to be caught voting no. And I was like, you don't want to be caught? Who's going to who's gonna catch you? Voting is a, <laughs> like a one-person thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not a group activity, but okay. And they're like, well, most likely they will vote for us. And I was like, they? Who? What is this group voting that you guys have here? And so basically they were telling me that they think the government will fill in their votes for them because if they don't show up, they won't have a vote. So they can just fill it in as yes for them. Wow. So no shows get voted by the election officials, basically. Yes. And (laughs) it was a known thing. It was just not even something that they questioned. It wasn't like a rumor. It wasn't an outlandish statement. It was a known fact at that point. Wow. Well, that's the same. It's, it's Erdogan. That's the same guy who even there's some issue with, I don't know if he, he, he might even like killed somebody while he was over here or something, or has had somebody killed while he was in the U S or something. And like, I forget the details, but there was something along those lines a couple years ago. So yeah, he's basically it's these guys that are dictators in all but name. Yeah. Well, but now he's president for life. Right. Because they ended up passing. Right, because that's what the people wanted. (laughs) Yeah, and then like you think, why would the people vote for this? And then you hear their side of it where they're thrown in jail without the same court system that we have if they get caught voting against it. So, yeah, why why wouldn't it pass? Yeah, it's the importance of those checks and balances so you don't have someone that can just bully their way through to controlling everything. Yeah. But we can leave that there for now. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go into deep political talks, but that is just <laughs> still one story that I, I, anyone asks, how's the cultural differences overseas? That's like what comes to mind. Okay, that, that's like a big, just like beacon that just flashes at you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to remind myself, okay, voting is important. Voting is right. Don't a take right it for granted. Have, yeah, and yeah. Don't stay home. Yeah, it's kind of the whole like, you know, your parents growing up tell you to eat the food on your plate because they're, you know, starving kids over wherever else. Well, it's kind of the same thing, too. Don't stay home on Election Day because there are people starved for voting that would love the <laughs> opportunity to be able to go and vote. Exactly. And it actually, yeah, and not and not be arrested for their vote or actually have it matter. Yeah, exactly. So that so did you go directly from Turkey to the United Kingdom as far as, you know, basketball wise anyway? Um, yeah. I came home that summer because at that point I played three seasons like back to back to back and I was like, Okay, I need some time in the US after being in <laughs> Turkey and I need some time off from basketball right. and I just needed to figure out if I wanted to keep playing at that point because it was it was a long year over there and just trying to figure out, okay, can I handle another year like what was in Turkey or what are my priorities now moving forward? And so that's when I found the team in the UK that also offered me the opportunity to study for a master's okay. while I was playing. So that was, it was an English speaking country. It was not quite as high of a level and obviously a lot different country (laughs) right a a democracy (laughs) yeah that was what really just was like (laughs) all right this is a good fit i need something that is nothing like where i just was so we're still working with the same agent then yes and i've still worked with him Um, okay i've had great great luck with him which has been really good is Matt Kredgeki is his name. So if anyone's looking as a women's basketball player for an agent, <laughs> I highly recommend him because he has helped me through all of these situations and just actually talked through things with me, like cared about how like I've been doing and all of that. And I've found apparently that that's rare 
and oh, agent wow. right. that they, they're just trying to get money from a team. And then they're like, all right, well, you signed the contract. You're good. No, like he, he's really been helpful when you show up and the apartment has mold growing on the wall and mm. you're like, no, this isn't going to work. Or your roommates smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and Ugh. things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did you then, were you able to finish up your master's there in Britain? Or how that, how that all play out? Are you still in the progress of all that? Yeah. So I got my master's diploma in sport coaching. And yeah, I'm not really sure what exactly that qualifies me to do. But it definitely looks good on the resume. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like coach sports. <laughs> yeah. I was really interested in like the courses as well, because it was all about different theories of coaching and how to motivate athletes and how different levels require different motivations and how Mm. you can do all of that. And I'd never really thought about it from that side. Like I was like, well, I've played basketball for so long. I should be able to coach it. Right. And then I kind of start thinking, okay, well, this goes into it and this goes into it and it just kind of gave me a deeper level of thinking when it came to coaching which i i definitely enjoyed that yeah that's there's less about the x's and o's and and the psychology is a huge part of it that you never think about when you're first getting into coaching yeah absolutely like that was not what i was thinking coaching was at all but now that i like look back at my thought process i'm like you're an idiot. What, what did you think it was going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's everybody. That's everybody. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think I've gotten to the point where with my top athletes, it's not about the workouts I give them. It's about yeah. the psychology. And it's like, you never realized that was going to be part of it when you go in to kind of, you know, help people, you know, be better at a sport. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, so I want to kind of, I want to try to transition into talking about workouts here, but but twofold. First, sticking with the basketball side of things, as far as so, what are you doing just in generally to stay fit in the off season? How how arduous are practices? Is there what you know? What do weight rooms look like in Turkey? That you know that kind of thing. Just as far as staying fit both in season and out over those few years. Yeah. Well, so one thing I was not prepared for was your workouts are now on your own. You're lifting is on your own uh your shooting is mostly on your own you go to team practice and that is as many as five times a week and as little as three on some teams oh wow yeah it's an hour and a half or two hours max on those days and everything else you do is completely on your own so you go from college where every single thing you do is monitored your weight your nutrition everything you do and then they're like, here, you just got to play at this high level, but now you got to figure it out on your own. So that was a bit of a shock, at least for me, because sometimes I'm not the most motivated. <laughs> um, I know, that. big shocker. <laughs> yeah. So finding ways to keep yourself motivated was definitely the biggest challenge for me, because some of the teams you go to, you can be fine in practice if you're hungover and slept three hours last night in practice. In games, you're going to suck. So getting into a routine where I was monitoring myself and making sure I was taking care of myself and getting to the gym three times a week and still going to shooting on my own, that was that, that's still a challenge that I have <laughs> right. now. Just staying motivated and not letting things get out of control because it's not like other jobs where you can have two or three beers when you're done and you might have a slight headache the next day but you're fine you can still do your job no when I will do that then it affects my workout the next day and then usually it sets me back the next day and it's just a cycle so realizing how much alcohol <laughs> takes a toll on your body and nutrition um, has been the biggest thing that I've had to finally grasp <laughs> and, and say, yeah, you're right. Alcohol is bad for you. I should not drink it <laughs> if you want to keep performing. And I'm at the point where if I want to keep playing, I have to cut those things out. I don't feel like I answered your question and I went off on a completely different rant there. But 
no, that that was that was all that was all in the ballpark of what we were what we were looking for. And uh, so, would you <laughs> would you be with your teammates then sometimes, or were you just literally on your own and they were on their own? Like, I would think you'd at least like, try to meet up with other girls because you all have similar goals. But or did, obviously, that doesn't always work that way. Yeah, well, sometimes you'd have one or two teammates that would be able to meet up with you, but um, most of the European girls that were over there had jobs or school, so oh, they right. were busy. Okay during the day and so you'd be on your own and if you were lucky to have another american maybe you guys would be able to work out together but if that american didn't want to then (laughs) you weren't gonna make them so then you're back to being on your own so yeah Um, that's that's happened a few times where i've had teammates that are like uh no i'm on my own now i don't have to go so Good luck. Have fun. Oh, right. I, I did things when they were required. Now that they're not required, you get what you get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh, so and then actually the last thing too here with the basketball is uh, so you were also basically the whole <laughs> we're recording this in the end of July of 2020. You're you were in the middle of basically getting ready for your next season or and basically how, how did the COVID interrupt uh, your plans there? Oh, so yeah, we played a game. And then we had practice on Tuesday, and that was when things in Italy started really taking off. And then on that Wednesday, they were like, um, well, a lot of things in Europe are starting to close down. And like that was when Italy had completely shut. And so obviously Portugal isn't that far from Italy, so they were kind of taking cues from them. And so they said, all right, well, your game this weekend has been postponed. Uh, okay. we're, we're not sure when we're going to schedule it, but so it was Wednesday and then we always had Thursday off. So on that Thursday, we'd, we weren't going to have practice anyway. And then our coach messaged us and said, um, well, now they're going to be postponing the rest of the season because that was when Trump issued that travel ban for European people coming into the U.S. and on that okay. Thursday. And it was going into effect on that Friday. And so they were like, well, you guys have to sit tight for at least 30 days. And I was like, no, you guys can't come into the U.S. I'm an American citizen. I can still go home. The 30 days doesn't apply to me. And they didn't understand that. (laughs) So as soon as I told them that, they booked me a flight home for that Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. So within within a week, it was like one game's postponed to now I'm back home. Exactly. Wow. Like I had practice Wednesday and I was home Monday. Oh, wow. Like that's, that's, preparing yeah, that's for a game. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's nuts. Um, and then hoping to go back. But again, everything's still kind of in flux now, right? Yeah. So I'm actually looking at possibly doing another Masters because obviously our season got canceled in the middle of it. And I've played how many years? Like, I don't want that to be the reason why I kind of stopped playing. Like right. maybe if I'd finished the season, like I would have known when I would played my last game, maybe I would have kind of been willing to say, all right, time to move on to something else. But like I it was forced out of it. It doesn't feel like a concrete end. Right. And so I'm looking at potentially going to a team where I would study again but I can also be on a work and study visa, which is more likely for me to get approved with all of this going on than just the work visas right now with everything going on. Right. Okay. So basically, once those leagues start back up, you should be able to include yourself with them. But yeah. Hopefully, yeah. I, I mean, if everything goes according to plan right now. I do have to like be on a visa to be over there. And so it's not like... Because they're saying how Americans aren't going to be allowed in Europe, but if you're on a visa, that's a different situation. Right, that's different. Than if you're not on vacation, you're going to work yeah, and live. Right, exactly. So it's not quite the same as them saying like no Americans allowed. <laughs> okay, right, right, right. And uh, yeah, it's been rough. Uh, but let's uh, let's move on to yeah. some happier. Th- well, I say happier thoughts. We'll see how it's going for you. So you mentioned that you are <laughs> training for a half marathon. Well, trying um yeah so did you ever think that you'd see the day no i i just lost a lot of money (laughs) yeah um we uh, quarantine hit hard i'm not gonna lie (laughs) like i had been like i said like 
not drinking, not eating bad. I was going and doing like two workouts a day. I was like keeping everything together. I was really getting ready for the playoffs. Like I was feeling good. I was in probably like some of the best mental and physical like base that I have been in in a while. And then season got canceled and I have to go sit by myself for two weeks and do nothing. Like I just felt like everything that I had been working for was like not only for nothing, but it just wasted effort. And I know that's not true, no, right, but that's but... just how it all hit at that time. And trying to find some way to stay motivated without having a gym to go to, without having anyone to work out with, without any of that. Like I was struggling. I couldn't play games. I couldn't play pickup. I couldn't do any of that. And so I was like, all right, I have to do something. And um, my mom has run so many half marathons. I think oh, right. She said she's done 10 before she hit 50. That was her goal. And I've always looked at her like she's insane, um, <laughs> which I still believe. Um, but <laughs> so I know that it's like you can do that out here because we have a lot of open space where no one is. And I had two friends from my team in Cardiff that actually ran in the Berlin marathon last year, two years ago. And so they've been trying to like convince me to do like a 5k or a 10k with them here and there, like just ways to meet up in random places and go see something or whatever. And I'm like, well, I'll meet you guys, but you can run and I will meet you at the finish line. (laughs) So I asked them for like the training programs they used for like their first halves and stuff. And so they sent me some of that and I've been trying to follow it. I run very slowly. It takes me forever. But last week I did actually make 10 miles, which to me is honestly the biggest shock of anything I've ever (laughs) accomplished. That's awesome. Because I still, I don't actually remember mile like seven through nine and a half. Like oh, no. no memory at all of it. <laughs> so, but I did make the 10 miles. I still have a few more weeks before I'm actually set to run the half, but I'm not going to enter anywhere because there's also nothing about how I run that should be seen in public. <laughs> um, so I'll probably just try and run it out here for my own personal accomplishment and we'll see (laughs) okay gotcha so you will do you will do the half marathon but you're not entering a race or even doing a virtual one or anything okay not yet okay i would like to do that eventually but i'm yeah i'm still not confident enough in how i run that i am ready for that uh go go and watch some though too when they do start back up and i think you'll realize oh okay well I could do, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many races you've actually been to if you did go to watch your friends run, but there's uh, there's everybody. Everybody's there. <laughs> yeah, but you've known me long enough to know how competitive I am. Well, well, fair. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> so I, I don't think that actual races are where I should be until I'm a little more comfortable with how I run. <laughs> That's because I'll be like, oh, I can get in front of this person. I can get in front of this person. And then we're on mile three and I'm passed Uh out on the side. (laughs) So, no, I I get that completely. And obviously I approach it from a different, different place because that was my primary sport is, you know, the running. But yeah. But competitive wise, I'm the same way. That's basically why I kind of stopped racing was ah, if I don't have time to train to get to the level where I feel like and I'm the best shape I can be at this point, then I don't then why bother? I've already done the races. I've done all the <laughs> why, why, I, so if I'm not going to be the people that sign up for a race just to do it, I'm like, I don't get it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to pay the money. I'm racing. And <laughs> I don't even understand yeah. not doing that. So, yeah, I just kind of don't race because I yeah anyway, uh, I get it. Yeah. But yeah, your your training for it is probably a little different than the training I'm approaching. So we'll keep that in mind. Because <laughs> if I finish it, that's still considered a race to me. But you just said, if I'm racing, I am racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. No, but again, everybody does approach it from different ways. And, and the moment that always comes to mind 
So I, I've only done one full marathon just to kind of, you know, check it off the list. I'm actually more of kind of what you would call like mid, like I'm better at like 5Ks than I am at half marathons and marathon. I, I'm not a long, long distance person. I'm more of like a mid. But I, when, I, when I ran my only full, there was the group that they let start early. I mean, you know, and honestly, frankly, it was, you know, like the the 56-year-old women that were walking a good chunk of it, if not all of it. <laughs> But again, so as we so as we start, you know, starting an hour behind them, and then we catch up to them, and but and I, I feel like a couple of the guys I was running with at the time were almost like you know giggling a little bit. But my thought was like, no, 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 no. What they are doing is way more impressive than what I am doing because this is easier for me. This comes naturally to me. This wasn't a, a huge yeah. challenge, but to them, this means something. This is a challenge, and so no hat, hats off to you. You're going outside of a comfort zone to accomplish something like that so uh stick with it i'm i'm very impressed because you know of course we talk you know you can't get Corey to do it Corey doesn't want to race and she is more naturally suited to it <laughs> yeah um this last run actually the 10 she said i've officially gone further than her than she's ever run and i was like i i honestly never thought i would see the day yep, that, yep. that was something that would happen I told now, you I lost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been good to have something to motivate me. I can't say that I enjoy the running. I still am not there yet, but having that goal of trying to make a different pace or a different like length or whatever has definitely helped keep me motivated and not start drinking wine at two in the two in the afternoon so <laughs> it's doing what i wanted it to do and we're calling that a win <laughs> oh for sure yeah i do say the the enjoying the running part that's that's definitely hit or miss it, it's it's always less about that for me than it is it's the having ran that that's what you're yeah. shooting for having ran is great running yeah you know depends yeah take your leave it but having ran is great <laughs> yeah Ashley actually sent me something the other day that said, I love to start my morning out with a run because then I feel morally superior to everyone else around me for the rest of the day. (laughs) That's perfect. And she was like, why is this you? And I was like, I will take it because that is half of the joy of running. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You just have this little smirk. You smile to yourself the rest of the day knowing they didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, let's let's uh let's finish up here with any kind of I didn't have a specific agenda talking about movies or TV here, but actually let's take it to the European side. So when you were overseas, what were you able to watch movies and TV? I know a lot of obviously American culture is pervasive throughout the world, but what was your experience with movies and TV when you were overseas if you had any time for it at all? Yeah, so a lot of the theaters like in Portugal Like, the movie is in English, and then they have Portuguese subtitles. Okay, yeah. So that was easy, like, to go see movies and stuff. But obviously, the release dates were a lot later. Right. So you'd have to wait forever to kind of see the things that everyone else was already talking about. Like, I remember I was over there when Avengers, like, Infinite... I think it was Infinity War. It was one of the, like, last Avenger movies. And everyone had been talking about it, and it was still two weeks away from coming oh. out in theaters <laughs> over there. Right, and I was right. Like, trying to avoid spoilers for things like that, and is is a lot harder than you think when you're coming into things a month after everyone else. So they're right. like, "Oh, if you haven't seen it by now, you don't care." Well, no, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, you might be in Portugal, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then like we still have Netflix in every country I've gone to. Um, they are different, but all the like Netflix originals are on there right. still. And then there's like different shows kind of on stuff. Like there's more British shows on there. Like when I was in Cardiff, um, okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gavin and Stacy, but it was something my British teammates made me watch. And it's like the peak of British culture <laughs> and comedy to me. Like, okay. it's so accurate and, of like how those people actually act but it's so i don't know i thought it was hilarious i'll have to check that out that's a netflix that's on netflix then even in the u.s i don't know if it's on netflix in the u.s i haven't actually checked because i think we finished it in like two days when i was when i started watching it with one of my teammates over there so i haven't actually checked here but i know it was on like bbc so 
I don't know how challenging that would be to find. Okay, I'll, uh, but I'll see if I, I can do track it down. It. Um, I watched a couple. So I, I did watch the British version of The Office, and then another one that's not on Netflix anymore. And shoot, actually, the name escapes me right now. I think it was called like Singles or something like that. But it was basically the British version of Friends for all intents and purposes. And I thought it was pretty darn funny. Uh-huh. But but it's uh, it wasn't on Netflix last time I checked, and I actually forget the exact uh, name of it. But okay. I, do, I, I do I do think that's kind of neat to do this using it because the whole world watches American stuff. I, I do think it's, oh, maybe important as a stretch, but I, I do think it's, I don't know, satisfying to or rewarding in some ways to just, you know, experience yeah. these other cultures through their uh, their humorous stuff. Actually, so this is a little bit of a tangent, but so I'm trying my darndest to work on French and you know, whatever, especially with the Ooh. kind of a COVID thing, you feel like you're trying to make progress or some, anything you can control, you know what I'm saying? So, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll try to do this. So one thing I've started doing is watching shows on Netflix in French with French subtitles. So like just no English at all. And oh, it's, wow. it's uh, I try to find some Portugal shows and, and, do, and do that. But uh, it's kind of interesting. Like there's times where like, oh no, I'm like I'm actually laughing. You you pick up more than you think you might, and so it's yeah. kind of neat. Like I've even like been recommending one of the shows to people. Like you can watch it with English subtitles, but I think it's probably funny anyway. <laughs> like I don't know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's so it is kind of fun. You don't think about too that Netflix being an American company. Well, they still put the money. In. It's a Netflix original. For France, yeah, and so they're doing that yeah. kind of around the world as well. So it, it is kind of interesting, and maybe something that you wouldn't think about at first. Well, I mean, you mentioned earlier how learning a language, being submerged into it, is the the fastest way. Right, and you found a way to do that while being quarantined in America with <laughs> with French, kind of. No, exactly. When you're doing that, so that in itself is pretty impressive <laughs> that you've managed to find a way to. Submerge yourself <laughs> into French. Yeah, it's because uh, du- Duolingo doesn't teach you the French swear words. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I've tried watching with Portuguese subtitles in a lot of like a lot of shows just to familiarize myself yeah. with like how they change verbs and stuff. Because like I'll know how you say it one specific way, but then like you know how like we I you all of those change the verbs in those latin yeah. languages um yep, and yep. so just trying to do that instead of get a study book and <laughs> do it that way i have i found that it's a little more entertaining at least that way <laughs> yes yeah and, and you, you do pick up more than you think but then a lot of times you're just like yep i missed that it's you know three paragraphs ah oh, they said something about <laughs> going to a ball game i don't know but like you just kind of yeah. get the gist but yeah i think that's all right uh so, yes, finally, the question that I did give you ahead of time. If if you could go anywhere, anytime in world history, where would you go and when and all that? Okay, so I thought about this all day yesterday because <laughs> this is such a broad question. It is. It's and very so, open-ended, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, okay, what different... Um, periods of history like intrigued me or interested me and I I thought like I was really interested in like ancient Greece and ancient Egypt and those kind of things and then I was like well those haven't really impacted me so I kind of was like all right well maybe like the beginning of the United States kind of things like that and I was like well I mean I know about that but that doesn't also affect me So I was like trying to think of moments in U.S. history of things that I have found notable or remembered or have like been influenced by. And so I like obviously went to different movements of like there was the women's suffrage movement. There was civil rights movement. Then like the Stonewall riots, like things like that stood out to me. And I kind of thought, all right, well, those have more of like an impact on how I view things, how I feel about things. Like I feel empowered by those. And then I feel like you're going to think that I'm kind of pandering to like this podcast and your, um, what's it called? Um, audience. Yeah. I don't know, but I remember seeing the picture of Catherine Switzer. i I feel like that's her name. The first female to ever 
run a marathon um, yes. in the Boston Marathon and seeing how the men were literally pushing her out, like trying to physically remove her right. from the race. And that was, it stood out to me so many times in my life because just the men were saying she could not do it and were physically trying to pull her out of doing something that no one is like, yeah, this is fun. Like it was a challenge for her. She was trying to show her skill and show that she could do it. And they were trying to get in her way and she had to fight for like the right to actually compete at all. And that moment has, has stood out because that picture was so powerful. Oh, I, I'm picturing it right now. Right. Yeah. It stands out in my mind right now. You talking and about it. Before this summer, I've never been a runner and I still don't know if I can claim a, being a runner, but just as a woman in sports, it still stood out. To right. Me because just, just because someone will belittle it because it's a woman's sport or things like that doesn't make it less valid. And just, yeah. I, I don't know if I completely answered that, but being able to see that in person, I feel like would probably have to be my answer because okay. that picture alone speaks volumes to me. Was she the one that had her boyfriend there that did kind of help defend her or was that, or am I thinking of a different yes. girl in a different race? Okay. That was her. Yeah. That is. Yes. She had her trainer and her boyfriend that helped get the race organizer off of her. Okay. And then I think, feel like she ended up getting disqualified not disqualified like banned from any like athletic mm, event yes. because she did this and so what's yeah. so infuri infuriating is so they you know they're ostensibly trying to pull her you know quote for their own safety but you look at that dude's face trying to pull her off the race he's personally yeah. offended that she dared enter his event she he doesn't care about yes. her safety that was 100 percent about his ego and it's just yeah it's just so infuriating and uh, yes. so you're probably the first person I've asked this question to who chose a moment that would make them mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that basically sums up me. Um, no, I think I you enjoy being mad sometimes. Mad. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't make, yeah, well, you would, if you, if you were there, you would be so beside yourself, I would think. But again, I guess you know yeah. the outcome, but you would, you would have the advantage of True. foresight or hindsight or whatever that those people yes. at the time Remember, they don't know what the they don't know what the outcomes is. Maybe she's the first and last, and it ends there. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, they said that if a woman tried, she would die. So <laughs> right, that, right, or never be able to have children. Right. Yeah, that's not what's on that man's mind at all. He's how dare she go against my rules? Kind of mindset. A, a follow up to that, actually, I did read a book just last fall called Mighty Mo. And it's kind of geared more towards younger audiences, but it's about a 13-year-old girl from Canada who set the women's world record in the marathon not long after this. So the time itself, by today's standards, wasn't that impressive, but mm -hmm. it's crazy impressive that a 13-year-old 13-year-old girl did this just not long after Switzer had done this. And so it was like a big deal, like, yeah. it, but it was like not even an actual event, same kind of thing. It was like, oh, like five people got together on the weekend and we're going to do it, but they had the distance right. The coach timed it. So like she did do it, but like there was, you know, anyway, it's just crazy. Like, and she never even recognized the accomplishment fully because she was too young to know better and then kind of got out of running by the time she was out of high school. And just this fascinating story and just kind of tying into this, the, the history of women in sports and stupid men telling them they're not capable, especially distance running, honestly, because... Women, yeah. you could argue, are more suited toward distance running than men are, is just even physiologically. So it's anyway, it's a uh, the one other follow up would be who would you take with you, and uh, ideally a celebrity or historical figure that you would like to take to also witness that event with you. I I'll look at maybe like other female athletes that I looked up to when I was younger because that's kind yeah. of how um, I arrived on this moment. So not even in the same realm, but like I looked up to Lisa Leslie and Diana Taurasi and okay. those basketball players. They really helped show me like that being a, a strong, <laughs> tall woman was not like something that was necessarily bad. Like 
it was celebrated and it was one of the first times that I had seen that. So I, I, I really did look up to them. So maybe I, I could choose them, just not in the same thing. Yeah, no, but I think that's appropriate because like okay. you said, you, you kind of picked this moment without being necessarily a runner yourself. At least your background is not in that sport. So why not take some other, you know, women basketball heroes of yours to kind of witness? I, I'm sure they would appreciate that moment. I mean, yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. No, yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Everyone, everyone always is so scared of that question. And then they, they everybody nails it. It's, it's, there's no wrong answers, like I was saying. Yeah, well, and, I mean, they probably pick happy moments that make them happy, apparently, <laughs> well, true. and not me. That, so. <laughs> that, that was a surprise, yeah. <laughs> but it was still powerful. So Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> that must be a neat poster to put up on your wall as kind of like constant motivation. Like if anybody's ever telling you you can't do something and you had that poster yeah. on your wall. That that I'm surprised that hasn't become a meme, honestly, if you think about that image. And I've only kind of only said, ever seen it in the context of, you know, Catherine Switzer herself, not, yeah, um, like I said, not becoming a meme. But yeah, I think we can probably wrap it up there. Thank you, Marissa, so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you later. 